And we welcome you to the Thursday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg, and I'm going to be joined now via Zoom by, first of all, Brian Albrecht, the president of Gateway Technical College. Usually he's just toddling across the hall from his office in the Inspire Center, but uh, he is joining us from home, as are uh, the other two special guests who are joining us uh, today and whom we will introduce in just a moment. Essentially, over the next few minutes, we're going to primarily be exploring the ways in which Gateway has responded to the COVID-19 crisis, in particular the way in which it is delivering uh, its educational mission in a different way, but with great vigor. And uh, and some of you have perhaps heard the, the morning shows over the last couple of weeks in which uh, I've spoken with kind of an array of Gateway instructors talking about exactly that. And we're going to explore that a little more uh, deeply today and and particularly from the, the point of view of the administration of Gateway in terms of some of the decisions that they have made to support the wonderful faculty at, at Gateway. Again, we'll introduce our two special guests uh, in just a moment. But first, uh, Brian Albrecht, the president of Gateway Technical College, we welcome you back to the program. Thank you, Greg, and a good morning to you as well. I just hope that we don't get too comfortable with this uh, distance learning technology because I miss you and I miss all of our uh, colleagues on campus and hopefully we get back soon. Right, be back in the same room, which is always the best way to do it. So in this time of social distancing, uh, what kinds of things have you been doing yourself and uh, how is life different for you, not only personally, but professionally as the president of Gateway Technical College? Well, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm getting to know my neighbors a lot better. <laughs> I lived in this neighborhood for 15 years, and the mo- this is the most I've walked around the neighborhood in all of those years. So it is great to be able to at least get outside and go for a walk and, and meet some of the great neighbors that we have in our community. And they continue to, to support, if you will, the Safer at Home initiative and keep their social distancing, which we've always encouraged our faculty and staff here to do at the college as well. And as we'll talk through the program today, just a little bit about some of the unique aspects that impact uh, Gateway and all of our educational partners. But for me personally, a lot of time on Zoom. So I'm getting pretty proficient on Zoom and a new technology called Loom. And we're making videos for our staff, trying to keep everyone informed of all of the changes that are taking place. And I do listen to WGTD every morning as well. And I want to compliment you on those fantastic interviews that you're doing, uh, especially with the faculty and staff, but also with President Swallow and Chancellor Ford, really helping to try to build that sense of confidence and comfort for our community that we will get through this and that there will be a place for higher education. We've been spending a lot of time with our municipal uh, government leaders as we build out infrastructures to help support our communities, whether they're the Department of Health, the police departments, and you've mentioned a few of those on programs in the past. And um, with the leadership of Vicki Halbach, our Dean of Nursing, who will be our, one of our guests today, and our team from the Fab Lab who've helped design and build 3D printed resources for protective uh, personal equipment, and uh, just a lot of really great activities to keep the college involved in the community and to keep our students inspired. I would just mention that earlier this week, uh, we actually had one of our first virtual uh, graphic design shows. and. We celebrated the seniors or the graduating students that are going to be completing their degrees. And it was really remarkable to be able to experience that in a new way, the virtual way. So keeping busy with a lot of college things and trying to stay busy with a few social aspects as well. I don't know how much you want to touch on this, but I know that there, at some point in May, uh, assuming things don't change, 
life is going to change a bit uh, for students at Gateway in terms of maybe dipping our toe back into kind of a new chapter? I don't know how much about that you want to say, but maybe at least a brief word. Absolutely. And we're going to ask Zina Haywood, our provost, to give us a little more detail on that. But you're so right. When this first broke, uh, I received two letters, one from Police Chief uh, Howell and a police chief in, and Racine and the police chief in Kenosha Meniscus uh, asking if we could continue to expand some training in law enforcement because of the, the need, the critical need for our police officers. So we, we have put some of that back in place and we are training our police officers. We've also worked uh, with Vicki again to help find out how we can help support the nursing professions and she'll share with you some of the changes that have taken place in that particular program. But as we get um, kind of on the other side of this coronavirus peak, and we're seeing that a little bit in the numbers in our communities, although we have to be very careful because it can, it can spike back very quickly. Um, we are looking at ways in which we can bring essential careers back on campus to do at least some lab experiences when we need to do them. But for the most part, uh, we need to kind of let this play out for a few more uh, months and make sure that we have a good understanding of what the impact of the coronavirus might be in a working environment and trying to make sure that our staff and our students are safe. Very good. I know you have some good news to uh, uh, share regarding some state grants. I do. Thank you very much. You know, so earlier this week, we also held a virtual Zoom college board meeting. And uh, so not only are our faculty and staff, but our College trustees are also uh, changing and adapting to the to the environment, and the state board did this as well. So the state board uh, earlier this month approved uh, grants to the individual colleges, and just so proud, Gateway received uh, 13 grants. Uh, so it's really an, a, a huge investment of state dollars in our in our campuses. And just two that I'll highlight real quickly. One is a new partnership with the Elkhorn School District to expand some academy models in Elkhorn, similar to what we're doing for Racine and Kenosha. So we're very pleased to be able to expand some services there. And then a state grant to help expand our nursing program. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well, but uh, no better time than now to start thinking about how we can expand healthcare programs. So those resources will continue to help us uh, put new programs in place and support some of the innovation uh, ideas that our faculty bring to us. Fantastic. Finally, I think you want to say a word of welcome to uh, somebody who uh, is about to join or maybe has already joined uh, the Gateway Board. Yeah, uh, Rebecca will join us in July. So I'll start by saying a great big thank you to Ron Frederick, who has been just a champion for Gateway for, I think, four decades now, actually. Uh, Ron's been on our board for a very long time. He was very proud to be able to remind me when I first started that he served in the 70s, 80s, <laughs> 90s. He took the 2000s off, but he rejoined again in 2010. So he's been very active in supporting Gateway, and we're just so proud of that. But he'll he'll uh, retire from the Gateway board in uh, at the end of June. And uh, so our, our trustees have a new uh, member joining them, Rebecca Matoska-Manitska, who serves as a representative to the Kenosha County Board. And uh, she'll be joining us uh, this July and be able to continue the great leadership uh, for Kenosha County. Fantastic. Well, I think we've uh, uh, had our special guest wait long enough. It's time to uh, uh, invite uh, Zena Haywood and Dr. Vicki Hullback uh, into uh, our conversation. Zena Haywood, Executive Vice President and Provost of Gateway, and Dr. Vicki Hullback, who is Dean of Health Sciences. So two major players at Gateway Technical College. Uh, Mr. President, just want to say a word about uh, how indispensable uh, both of these women have been, uh, uh, I mean, ongoing, of course, Absolutely. but particularly in the last few weeks. You know, they always say you need to have a strong shoulder to lean on, and I'm fortunate to have two of two women that helped me very much uh, kind of really better understand the impacts on the college and, of course, the health side of the coronavirus. So I just want to 
thank Zena Haywood, our Executive Vice President and Provost, not only for helping us in this transition, a uh, very unique time in, I'm sure, both of our careers and in all of our lives, but uh, all, always throughout the 15 years and, you know, that we've been together here at Gateway, it's just been a remarkable friendship and partnership to elevate Gateway's stature in the community and engage um, our faculty and staff in innovative programming. And I'm just so proud to be able to, to talk about Gateway, not only here at WGTD, but across the nation because of her leadership. And joining us also is Vicki Halbach. And, and you had Vicki on the program a few weeks ago, and I'm sure you were impressed as I and as we all are with her leading our nursing program and has really been the catalyst for uh, having our nursing program get its recertification, expanding it to the um, human patient simulation arena, engaged in community health uh, initiatives that we've started, and now the expansion of the program onto the Racine campus with an entirely new uh, facility that's being renovated for, uh, for healthcare. So just can't thank both of them enough for being with us today and for their continued support for Gateway students. Very good. So we welcome both of you to the morning show. Zena Haywood, uh, you're of course joining us from your home. Uh, give us a capsule summary of what it's been like for you to transfer all of your work, your considerable responsibilities for Gateway uh, into your home and into this kind of format. What's, what's that felt like? How's that been going? Well, it, it didn't change very much. I was surprised to find out uh, how much we depend on uh, phones and, and computers, but I have taken over our kitchen table. Uh, it's much bigger than my home desk, so I've made an adjustment there. Uh, I've moved my office chair into the kitchen so I can sit and be comfortable while I'm working. Um, there's a lot more sun in the kitchen, and, I just, and it's really just a few steps from my she shed. So when I need to take a break, uh, I can do that uh, very easily. I also learned that I've adjusted to business casual. Uh, I didn't usually do that, but now I've kind of uh, adjusted everything, and I use my cell phone and my laptop. Uh, much more than I used to. I'm still kind of old school, so I always had my paper and pencil, but now uh, it's laptop and cell phone. Hmm. Yeah, those are those are fantastic opening comments because <laughs> I can relate to that so much. I, I had not worn a tie for almost three weeks until our board meeting earlier this week, and it's on Zoom, but I, I put my suit and tie on because I felt compelled that I just needed to get into the, into the, the mode again a little bit, but just, uh, yes. yeah, it, it is amazing. And I would comment to, for our audience that Zena is an outstanding cook. So for her to give up her kitchen table, I'm sure her husband Todd is not too happy about that. <laughs> we appreciate how everybody's pitching in. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Vicki Hallbeck, uh, tell us, uh, uh, first of all, how you've been dealing with this social distancing thing in terms of all that you do for Gateway and, and in overseeing one of its most important programs. You know, I really, I have to say, I felt kind of like Zena. I've been able to continue my job and to continue my interactions with faculty and students. I think I'm more available on Zoom now than I ever have been in person. So I have even, I'm meeting with even more people. Um, I do, I have to say, I do miss the social interaction of being face-to-face -face with people. Uh, the great advantage is that I can work and then I do take frequent frisbee and tug of war breaks because I have two border collie work partners now oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and seeing that everyone's play frisbee on break so um I do end up with a lot of dog toys at my feet by the end of my day I always enjoy uh Vicky's very active on Facebook too so I get to see pictures of of her a dog and all of the activities that are taking place so it's very great to see that and I would just share with our audience that we're we're um 
taping this on a Zoom network so I can actually see uh, Vicky and Zena and in their homes and I can see all the activities that are going on. So it's a real credit to anyone that's working from home to be able to balance family life and then of course your responsibilities back to work because they're, it's hard to actually turn it off and I just appreciate the fact that we're all working really hard to keep that balance. Very good. Uh, so Vicki Hallbeck, uh, since we have you here, uh, I have a feeling you can shed some light on the, the matter that kind of has created this strange scenario in which we're all living, uh, namely this coronavirus, uh, COVID-19. Uh, from your perspective as somebody in the health sciences, tell us what this coronavirus is and the kind of harm that it does when somebody contracts it, at least for some people, it can, of course, be a, a very deadly sort of situation. Uh, help us understand what this virus is and what it does uh, to uh, those that it infects. So the COVID-19 virus is actually a strain of a coronavirus. So coronavirus is a virus that <clears throat> is a type of virus that we've had around for a long time that causes some of our cold symptoms. But COVID-19 specifically is a strain of that virus that no human has been exposed to before, which means that, you know, when we started with COVID-19, there weren't people who were immune to this virus already or who had built up antibodies to it yet. So it was a new virus that was introduced to us and it was mutated from an RNA, which was actually an animal-born virus. So the symptoms of COVID-19 can range from mild to severe. And what we're finding is that about 30 to 50%, depending on what resource you're looking at, of people who have tested positive for COVID-19 haven't even had symptoms or may not have had symptoms at all. Hmm. So that being said, those patients are still contagious. So we can still actually be affected and get coronavirus from someone who doesn't even have symptoms themselves. Um, what, what is really alarming about it is about 30% of patients who contract COVID-19 will need some type of hospital care. And that's where it becomes really alarming when we have so many people who don't have immunity to the virus and being exposed that, you know, staying at home and trying to slow the spread of it what it does is it gives our hospital organizations and our healthcare workers an opportunity to care for the people who are really sick and not have to care for them all at the same time. Right. Otherwise, we're, we're looking at a scenario that we saw, for instance, play out in Italy so tragically in which uh, their healthcare system, which was actually numerically should have been very well equipped, I mean, given kind of normal life, but uh, what was absolutely overwhelmed by the numbers of people who came in so very seriously ill from, from Corona. We're trying to avoid that, although there are probably trouble spots in America that have seen a similar level of suffering. Yeah, and I think I would just add too, it's been sort of interesting to kind of watch how the virus has moved around the United States. So they call it hot spots, right? And now currently Detroit seems to be a hot spot and Chicago was in New York and uh, Miami. And so where there are large volumes of people, of course, it's spread by human interaction. So that creates that sort of hot spot. And um, unfortunately that those cities are also magnet cities for um, 
distribution, right? So you got a lot of people coming in and out. You got a, pro a lot of product coming in and out. So it's hard to slow that down. So you see a huge economic push. And that's what this whole Safer at Home initiative comes from to try to slow down e-commerce, if you will, and try to get people a chance to, uh, to recover a little bit. So, Vicki Halbeck, we, of course, at this point do not have a vaccine for COVID-19. Uh, so in, in absence of that, until a vaccine is developed, explain the measures that have uh, been put in place uh, and implemented uh, to such a wide degree and the kind of difference that those make. So the, the things that we really need to make sure that we're still doing is continuing good hand-washing techniques. So hand washing with soap and water, hot water, um, using hand sanitizer, not touching our faces, um, wearing, so we know that some, some masks are more effective than others, but any mask is better than no mask at all. Um, but there are a few things that I think me and probably other healthcare workers would really like to make sure that the public knows is that when you're wearing a mask is making sure that it's covering your mouth and your nose and that it's well-fitted and that you're not touching your mask and your face constantly because um, we know that fabric masks don't offer the same protection as our surgical masks or N95 masks. And that um, really, it's still really important even with a fabric mask or a scarf or anything covering your face that you're still keeping that six foot distancing because the way the virus is transmitted is through respiratory droplets, which means when someone coughs, sneezes or talks, that the saliva that's coming out of our mouths is um, <laughs> what does cause the spread of illness from person to person. Um, so things that make the, last, the mask less effective are things like your um, facial hair. So people with big beards and then they put a mask over it, that's really not keeping um, from the transmission of the illness. So kind of remembering those things only having, you know, being really aware of your own personal risk factors and your fam friends and family members' risk factors so that, um, you know, if I'm working in a hospital, I'm not going to come home with my shoes that I wore to work or my scrubs that I wore to work. Mm. Um, you know, kind of being really more self-aware of those things. Um, nurses who leave the hospital, not stopping at the grocery store in the scrubs that you just left your workplace with. So it's really all of those things that seem like common sense that we really want to make sure people know. Um, one thing that I've seen, and um, I think if I had to really drive one point home for people is when you wear gloves. So it's great to wear gloves when you're doing something that's dirty, right? So if I were working with a patient and cleaning, cleaning up blood or something like that, I would wear gloves then I would remove the gloves and wash my hands. So wearing gloves in and as itself isn't necessarily going to be any cleaner than washing your hands in between interactions because what we're seeing is people wearing gloves at a grocery store, but they're picking up their groceries, they're paying, they're using their card, they're using their phone, they're touching their car. Their gloves aren't any cleaner than what their hands would have been. Right. So it's important that people don't misunderstand the point of gloves and, and don't assume the, the wrong kind of safety that they give. I mean, they're helpful, but they, they don't solve everything. And if we misunderstand the point of gloves, they, we can kind of trick ourselves into making some mistakes. 
Yes, yeah. you could definitely give yourself a little bit of a false sense of security by wearing gloves and masks and not really doing it effectively. Right, right. Yeah. I think, I think it points to the idea that we are learning so much about socialization, social interaction, this term social distancing, that maybe it was fairly obscure to many of us uh, before this virus. Um, I think we all knew that a cold could be transmitted if someone sneezed down you, right? So we kind of stayed away from there. But the fact that just talking to someone can transmit uh, germs and all of the different things that we touch every day, so the sensitivity that we have now to making sure that we protect ourselves and the environments around us. It's And there's this a saying, of course, that the life will never be the change. And I be the same and I think it's true we will all adapt to, to, to the way that we protect ourselves and, and those around us through our work environments and I just want to say how proud I am because I listened to Vicki and I listened to our faculty in your interviews Greg and they're so knowledgeable and so experienced and they have such a, a grasp on the professions that they represent we're just very honored and proud at Gateway to have a faculty um, with the expertise that they have and, and Vicki being a nurse and all of the nurses that teach for us that are also serving on the front line and those kinds of stories are just so compelling and they make up the kind of the fabric of Gateway Technical College. We're, we're our community's college. We're our working college. And, and I want to thank Vicki and all of the healthcare workers that uh, are helping us to get through this virus. For those of you just joining us, this is the monthly visit of Brian Albrecht, the president of Gateway Technical College. With him today, we've just been hearing from Dr. Vicki Holbeck, Dean of Health Sciences here at Gateway Technical College. And uh, also with us is Zena Haywood, Executive Vice President and Provost for uh, Gateway Technical College. Uh, uh, Zena Haywood, uh, it's no secret, uh, particularly those of us who work in colleges and, and, or, or schools of any kind, that, that the whole realm of education has been very powerfully impacted by the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, maybe you could take us back several weeks and kind of talk about the sorts of decisions that confronted you and other top administrators at Gateway when it became clear that COVID-19 was going to have a very direct impact on our community as uh, with every other community, and what kind of choices had to be made at Gateway in terms of how to go forward in the midst of this? It's certainly good. Uh, what I can tell you is that uh, they don't teach you how to handle this type of situation in leadership school or management 101. <laughs> and, and with over 40, 40 years of higher ed exp experience, I didn't have a whole lot to draw on except for uh, concepts and best practices and change management, because that's definitely what we were dealing with. Um, well, what we did was we started with what's the most important thing. And the most important thing was the safety of students and staff. So that's kind of the foundation uh, or guiding principle uh, that we use for all of our decisions. Uh, then we had to figure out what are the boundaries and the boundaries that we were, uh, we had to adhere to was compliance with state and federal mandates. We also had financial, physical plant, equipment and human resources that are available kind of help, were kind of like our boundaries of what we could do. Uh, the most pressing decision was to focus on instructional continuity. Uh, approximately 30% or about one-third of our courses are already online. So the other two-thirds or 70% is what we really had to figure out a, con a, continue, a continuing plan for. Uh, so the online courses were just business as usual and there was really no change or effect uh, for those students. So to change and uh, think about how we would uh, 
process our instructional continuity. To do that, we had to shift the delivery of traditional instruction as much as possible to some type of virtual delivery format, whether it's asynchronous, totally online, or synchronous, where they're using technology like Zoom and can meet at the same uh, times and uh, days, uh, but the uh, delivery of assignments and all those things would, would be a little different. It would be a significant change for most faculty. So we had to think about uh, how do we support faculty uh, who are changing to this different uh, delivery format. We canceled classes for three days to give instructors a chance to transform their lectures, their assignments, and even their assessments uh, for the remainder of the spring semester. Because when all of this happened, we had about a month left in our semester. Uh, we also had to think about canceling on-campus events, whether they were our events or events the community was holding on campus. We had to think about travel. We had to cancel all travel, foreign and domestic, uh, for all of our uh, staff. And we had study abroad trips we had to cancel. Uh, we had to move all services and staff to working remotely, not just uh, students so, and faculty. Uh, so we had to keep doing payroll. We had to keep our business office going and, and human resources and all of the other things that we do as a college. So we had to figure out how do we do that remotely and how do we get staff the technology and, and um, resources that they need. And then on top of that, how do we coordinate all of this? How do we communicate with everyone? And how do we keep up with the frequent changes and updates that kept, kept coming? So lots of decisions made around communication. And then one of the biggest decisions we had to make when you we had to make when you think about events was the upcoming graduation. Hmm. So keeping the foundation of our, our discussions and decisions in mind of keeping everyone safe, we decided to go to a virtual ceremony uh, with a, having an on-campus celebration sometime in late summer or fall, hopefully when we'll be able to be back on campus fully. So how and when to teach hands-on skills with the boundaries uh, of social distancing? How do we provide a support for faculty who have never taught online? And then we had to start thinking about the summer semester, which originally was going to start May 4th. So one of the big decisions was to push that back uh, to May 26th, which happened to be when the governor then uh, changed, pushed back his uh, safer at home to May 26th. We had already made a decision uh, to move our summer uh, semester back to that very same date. So there was a lot of decisions that were made. One also was continuing to pay casuals and student workers. That was a big decision, even though it's not, it wasn't their fault that they could not work. How are we going to be able to support those people who are so vital to what we do on a regular basis? Can we continue to support them? So lots of very, very different decisions that really I never had the, um, the chance to, to think about uh, before all of this happened. <laughs> That's staggering to think about all of that. And I just have to add parenthetically that I teach at Carthage, and in my interviews with uh, folks at Parkside, for both of those colleges, there was a two-week spring break. In both cases, they took their – Carthage extended their spring break an extra week. Parkside started their spring break a week early, so both of those schools had two-week spring breaks during which a lot of this trans transition could be uh, – accomplished, not to minimize how challenging it, it still was, uh, but 
but I'm just amazed to think of what had to happen at Gateway over the course of just a few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really remarkable what you and, and the teachers managed to accomplish. And I think the president wants to second me. Yeah, well, Craig, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm glad you acknowledged that. I mean, I, I like to remind our community that Gateway's been in service to our community for 109 years, primarily face-to-face occupational lab delivery programs, although we've been transitioning to online support programs and services. So 109 years worth of history, and in 48 hours, we had to flip the coin and say that now we've got to be able to do this in a virtual setting, a virtual environment. And when you talk about things like childcare or manufacturing or welding or, you know, pick a program, automotive, healthcare, surgical technology, graphic design, these are tend to, these tend to be more hands-on type of experiences. And our faculty overwhelmingly have embraced the idea that they're going to do whatever they can to get students through this. And so it's very inspiring to be able to observe and look at some of the the work that students are doing, whether it's through a virtual environment or a demonstration video that was submitted. Zena and I watched a video the other day about one of our students that was in a childcare program, and it was remarkable what she was able to do to demonstrate her skills in classroom management. So just congratulations to everyone, and you know we know that we'll learn from this, absolutely, but we also know that our mission is to make sure that we help people with the hands-on experiences, so knowledge and skills combined. Absolutely. Zena Haywood, um, tell us how students seem to be adjusting to this uh, online uh, environment. Are they doing as well as the instructors? And uh, does this uh, perhaps signal the uh, kind of a shift in terms of including more of this kind of instruction uh, in the future? Well, it's really been a, a big adjustment for everyone. Uh, the student adjustment kind of runs the gamut. Uh, at the first announcement, there was some panic uh, from students and, and faculty. And then you have the other extreme where people were really relieved because they could be home with their children because they were now at home too and childcare was an issue. So some people were relieved and some uh, were panicked and then there was everything in between. Uh, there were a couple, couple of rough spots, for example. Uh, we knew that there was what what's called the digital divide, that there are some uh, students that do not have technology at home, and that's why we have computer labs and resources on campus. Uh, so uh, one uh, rough spot was, for example, not students not having the technology they need to complete courses online. However, uh, we did uh, gather up uh, all of the uh, Chromebooks and laptops that we usually have for students to check out from our library. Some of our programs had computer carts, uh, our uh, IT staff did an excellent job of bringing those resources to students where students could uh, check out those um, uh, resources. We had a drive up and all we had to do was get a faculty member or another staff member who knew about the situation. We notified IT and IS and they contacted students to, to pick up, uh, establish a time for them to come and pick up the technology they needed. So we distributed Chromebooks, laptops, and hotspots even uh, were dispersed to students who had contacted advisors, faculty, or any other staff. So going forward, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, yes, we do plan to continue for summer 2020 in the same format uh, that we're using now to continue, to continue out our spring semester. Uh, in fact, uh, the deans have been writing new descriptions for our delivery methods. Uh, everybody understands what face-to-face or traditional is, People now understand what online is. 
The newest thing a few years ago was a blended where you did half face-to-face and half online. Or now we even have what we're calling, what's called synchronous, where you're online, but you're face-to-face using technology like Zoom as a day and time, just like you were in class. And now there's even a new one that they've come up with for the summer and probably into the fall, where it's a blended online and Zoom. I'm really changing how instruction is delivered. I, I can't imagine what it will look like five, ten years from now, uh, the different ways that we'll be delivering instruction. But we're looking forward to uh, trying this out for uh, the summer and then moving that into some of our fall classes. I think it will be a great benefit, especially when things start rolling for people to think about I'm I don't know if I can do online but if I can sit down and, and see the person face to face and enter the instructor in real time that may be a little more palatable to those who are kind of on our continuity plan so we're going to use it for for summer and probably into the fall mm. Well, uh, it sounds like some, some good decisions have been made about the future and uh, with the, all of Gateway students in mind and their well-being. Uh, uh, Vicki Holbeck, Dean of Nursing, in, in some ways you have to speak to two different constituencies. You are, of course, first and foremost concerned about your own students and completing their respective programs. And then you have this healthcare community uh, really desperate for nurses uh, to, to enter the working uh, environment. So uh, you're at a very critical point in all of this. Uh, tell us how you are handling, in a sense, those those two responsibilities. So we've really been um, ch- challenged with meeting the needs of our health program students and with balancing not just our health organizational needs, but even our students and our faculty their fears and their concerns about the COVID-19 virus itself. But there were a lot of factors that have contributed to our decisions. Um, We've had to work within our accrediting bodies requirements as well as our state regulatory guidelines. And I have to say, just like Zena said, that has changed sometimes daily. Um, We make a decision, we put a plan in place and the next day our accrediting body makes another statement about what we can do. And I will say that initially, a lot of the accrediting bodies and the state boards were really um, wanting to say, okay, well, let's just wait a couple weeks and then they can finish their clinicals within their clinical organizations. And then as we've seen this virus unfold and we know that it's not as short term as maybe we initially thought, many of our accrediting bodies and our state boards have now made exceptions like allowing us to use simulation, virtual simulation, as well as role playing and case studies to meet the course competencies and not focusing so much on number of hours, but rather the skill level and the competency, which has been great and was really consistent with Gateway. So that has been really wonderful. Um, The faculty have been really creative in using virtual simulation products, as long as not just role-playing like we would see in our simulation lab, but doing online role-playing So we have faculty who are pretending to be patients online. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I know it's, it's really is cool to see what they, what they're doing. 
but also using like a virtual format for skills lab practice times and ensuring that students are prepared to enter into the workforce. We were really, we really wanted to make sure that the students who were in their last semester and getting ready to graduate, that we were able to um, complete them, but also to continue to provide the quality education that students and that our health industry expects from Gateway. So as we're transitioning back, we are bringing some students back on campus and it's those essential programs, those essential healthcare workers, and only for very limited times in the labs and for simulation. Again, not for a time period and not for like a strict time period, but to meet the course competencies and really show that they're ready to, to join the healthcare force. Um, we are also being flexible, and I can't stress that enough to our students and our faculty, in that um, students of ours that have extenuating circumstances who become ill or need to be quarantined, um, or even that have childcare issues, um, that we're able to give them an incomplete and to help them complete at a later date without pre preventing them from moving on in their program. Um, and the fact is there are some people who are either uncomfortable or they're fearful because maybe they have an extenuating health issue or they have a family member who they're caring for and they want to limit the exposure as much as possible. So we do understand that and we want to make sure that our students and our community partners know that we are, we are here for them and we are going to support them. Um, our healthcare partners do continue to need skilled workers in the workforce and the students are, are still eager to graduate. So we wanna do everything we can to support them and to safely achieve their degrees and meet the healthcare facilities needs for these essential workers. And I know you guys can see in my background that when you have border colleagues having lever doorknobs, it's the best choice for doorknobs. <laughs> I thought I thought it was just well trained that you could open the door like that by yourself. But uh, I, I just want to comment. You know, there's there's a lot going on about the acknowledgement of first responders and healthcare providers, and the term hero is is used an awful lot, and they absolutely are. And in my mind, it's like. If, if like a superhero is a normal person and then in a time of crisis they come out with an entirely different uh, persona a different uniform different image and so when you look at a, a nurse uh, with a nursing uniform on always remember that there is a person behind that as well or a firefighter or a police officer or name any profession because they are heroes in that in that certainly in that profession that they're representing but also on behalf of our community and I, I don't know a couple years ago when we transitioned the uh, the Inspire Center to a Human Patient Simulation Center, if we ever would have imagined that human patient simulation and the idea that simulation would have such a profound impact on education and we're seeing it just elevate so rapidly in, in the, the software technologies and the way that our faculty can apply those uh, skills in, a, in an environment in which students can actually demonstrate their knowledge and skills. It's pretty remarkable. Very good. We have a couple more things we want to explore. We'll have to move briskly here, but Zena Haywood, we want to give you a chance to talk about some of the other programs at Gateway that have had to make this adjustment to online learning. Uh, and of course, Gateway offers a wide array of different programs uh, beyond mm -hmm. nursing. And um, uh, I, I know that you are happy about uh, some... Yeah, some there's been a lot of different... stories. Yes, uh, our faculty has, has been expressed already. I've been very creative. I just have a, a few examples here. Uh, for example, in, in veterinary technicians. What? 
something has to be <laughs> Dina stepped out, so we'll jump in there, but she was going to help describe what our veterinary technician. Okay. <laughs> okay. I can finish. I'm sorry. Uh, for, for vet tech, the students make videos of themselves explaining and demonstrating their procedures, and they, they, they sent those to the faculty, and they were able to get graded on how they did those procedures in their videos. Uh, for example, in welding, instead of doing a final welded project, students actually completed an online professional certification that certifies them as having the particular skills that they would have demonstrated through doing a project. And they also then also had another certification that they could add to their portfolio. Uh, Brian mentioned the early childhood uh, example where students made videos of their activities with kids uh, at their internship sites. Uh, you also mentioned the graphic communications online design show, which is usually a live show. They did it via Zoom. They had probably about 200 people in attendance. Uh, professionals, professionals in the field actually served as judges, and they judged all of the different categories and designs and, and hard work our students did, and they voted online. Awards were actually given. They showed the awards, and they're going to be sent uh, to the winners, and they even had live entertainment. We had uh, a, a duo um, sing and uh, play uh, the guitar uh, as as we went through uh, the show. So it was it was very well done. So we were adapted very well in different programs. Our natural science programs uh, like chemistry and biology and all of those kind of types of courses they use virtual lab activities instead of coming in to do it. They they have software and programs where they could do those labs virtually. And then as Vicki talked about, the licensing boards of nursing increased the number of simulation hours we could use. So that has helped us get our students through uh, their courses. And so there's just been a lot of different uh, ways that it, our faculty have been creative in making sure students uh, obtain the competencies they need to complete their courses. Very good. Vicki Holbeck, I want to make sure that you get a chance to uh, talk about uh, some of the uh, donations and volunteer hours given uh, by uh, by some of your team in terms of of supporting the community during this challenging time. Yeah, we've had we've really had some great opportunities. We are we're truly blessed to have a stock of PPE that we were we knew that you know we used for the training environment, but would be extremely valuable to the hospital organizations and we really wanted to make sure that we were contributing to supporting our clinical partners and keeping our graduates and our current students and all of our healthcare workers as safe as possible. So we were able to donate our PPE um, that we had on campus to the hospitals, the long-term care facilities, and even the local police departments. Um, we were able to donate hand sanitizer, gloves, masks, um, the Fab Lab has done a great job of do, making um, ear savers, which is really a plastic piece that helps to keep the nurses comfortable and the healthcare workers comfortable by keeping the elastic bands off of their ears. Um, so I've been working with the, the Fab Lab and distributing those to some of our hospital partners. But our students have really, our students and faculty both have really stepped up and pulled together in our community's time of need. And I have to say that even being at home, these small acts of kindness have been so appreciated. And um, as a nurse who I've worked in the hospital setting and I truly appreciate the hard work and the risks that our EMS, our police departments and our healthcare workers are taking every day 
to keep us safe and to provide care to our community members. So anything that we can do to make them more comfortable or feel appreciated, I think is extremely important. We're hearing all kinds of stories from healthcare workers um, coming from different locations and keeping the six foot distancing between themselves and their children when they get home so that they can decrease the risk of transmission to their families. Um, some nurses and healthcare workers staying in other locations and not even staying at home so that they're making sure they're not exposing their family. Um, some of our, even some of our students, we've, we've been in discussion where they're working mandatory overtime or taking, and some are taking voluntary reduction of hours and pay just to keep from their units having to lay off workers. Because even though we're seeing a huge influx of patients in our emergency rooms and our ICUs and our med surge units, keeping in mind that there are a lot of um, elective cases that have been canceled. So mm -hmm. wellness care and um, elective surgeries, cosmetic and aesthetic procedures. So all of those things, dental cleanings. So all of those workers are not, don't necessarily have busy jobs right now. Some have been repurposed to other areas of the hospital, but some have really been asked to stay home. So we're seeing a variety of ways that this is impacting our healthcare facilities. And it's been a time where I've seen, I know my faculty, I, I will jokingly say that we're an emergency response team because really in September we had our accreditation visit and everyone stepped up to the plate now COVID-19 and we're seeing the very same like teamwork and pull together and really putting differences aside and being creative and working really well together to, to support each other and to meet the needs of our students. I have a student um, who's the president of our SNA actually, Danielle Trinidad, she's sewing homemade masks and donating them. And we have another nursing student whose husband, her and her husband are making some of the ear savers and masks on their home on their 3D printer at home. We have students that are providing childcare to other essential workers, children. Um, some of the hospitals and long-term care facilities are using volunteers that were students to, to work at the screening tables to make sure that people before they enter the facilities are safe and symptom free. So we're really seeing a huge influx of acts of kindness. I know Madeline Carrera here at Gateway has really pulled together a list of um, food resources and emergency resources for our students and for our communities. So we're, we're just seeing all kinds of acts of kindness. So it's really nice to see a community pull together this during this time. It certainly is. Absolutely points of, of light here uh, for Gateway and the students that are working so hard. So we're, we're, we're really working on trying to establish uh, all of those different stories from the poll workers that were volunteer students to faculty that are serving as guest community speakers and uh, interviews. And we have a team right now that's working on a paper for the American Association of Community Colleges. And I just look at all of the different aspects and the expertise that we bring to this conversation for our community. And Vicki highlighted many of those uh, efforts. It's, uh, it's an inspiring story, uh, top to bottom. And, uh, and I'm so appreciative of, of all three of you taking time out of your 
busy, crazy schedules to uh, share this uh, story uh, with uh, all of our WGTD listeners. Uh, Zena Haywood, Executive Vice President and Provost here at Gateway Technical College. Dr. Vicki Hullback, uh, Dean of Health Sciences at Gateway. And of course, Brian Albrecht, the President of Gateway Technical College. It's a great pleasure and honor to speak with all three of you. And uh, thank you for all the good work you're doing and uh, best wishes going forward. Thank you, Greg.